Welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is part 13 of the Me Speak Babel series, The Gate of God. And the title of this episode is The First Rule of Spiritual Fight Club is Surrender to Win. It's the only rule. Well, maybe not. All right, let's see. This, the theme of spiritual warfare. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Spiritual warfare is all over the New Testament. Even the word gospel means to bring news of victory. Gospel is a proclamation of, of win over the enemy. A, you've defeated the enemy. Most people do not realize that there is a war happening, so they're not aware of the skirmishes happening around them all the time. The, the great commission that Jesus gives his followers is to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, commissioning is a military thing in itself. You commission an officer or an NCO, and they get what they are, um, their rank, their company, their platoon, whatever. So how, if they are supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, how is this to be accomplished? Well, they do it by telling the story of Jesus, the man without sin, without sin, who was unjustly condemned, crucified, and rose again from the dead before ascending into heaven, where he took his seat of authority and power and was given all authority and power over everything. Um, this message was not brought by the sword or a gun, but by awakening people to the truth um, about how they can be set free from the slavery of the powers that whisper in their ears and crouch at their doors and rule the nations. To be unshackled from these bad spirits is to stomp out the fire of competition in our heart and kindle the fire of the Holy Spirit in its place. So we stop looking at other people as the enemy and you start seeing them as POWs. They are prisoners in the greatest war of all, a war that makes all human war look like a, a big game of patty cake with a baby. So there is a way to set people free, and it's not by strong-arming them or mocking them or bribing them. Uh, the early Christians had to win in this way, and they did. And eventually, of course, they dominated the world, took over the greatest empires, took over much of the world just by this message of Jesus, which is stunning in itself. The only time it got in trouble is when they took that message and used it in a way that was not Christ-like at all. So um, you cannot force people or you cannot mock or bribe them into becoming a person of faith. Uh, we cannot compel them to come in. There's a, there's a famous line in the Gospels about compel them to come in, which has been misinterpreted. Uh, Jesus said, no man can come to me except that the Father draw him. So God will draw the people when the time is right. He will draw people to him. That means God is working on people in his time, and he has more patience than we do. Um, this means the person that you love who is fallen away or fallen into some kind of addiction or other, God is working on them in his time. Trust that that is happening. You cannot force someone. That doesn't mean you couldn't try an intervention or something like that. But God will, will, not, um, will give people these trials for a reason. And we who have found Christ and are fighting the demons must also resist this urge to play God. And if we try to force people, we instantly revert to this old common language of Babel, which is competition and envy and pride and wrath. The strange way 
that we fight the spirits that seek to dominate our lives and our nations is that we opt out. We reject them. We stop fighting in a way in order to fight. Um, in order to gain control, you must give up control. In order to go up, you have to go down. The great paradox here is that in order to gain control over the spiritual combat, you must give up control to God. And the three word solution is surrender to win. I know I say it in many episodes. Um, the Tower of Babel story is about winning. It's about playing God and making God surrender to us, which is impossible. The raising of the tower is man's attempt to reach God, which fails. The miracle, however, is that our failure to pull God down leads to him coming to meet us. <laughs> so when we try to pull him down, it doesn't work. He will come meet us when he likes to, when he wants to. Uh, through Abraham, all the way through Mary, we get to Jesus. So God reverses what the, the tower builders are asking or attempting to do, and he comes to us when he is ready. No gate or construction project needed. We don't control God. We just live in his world. He comes to us when he is ready and however he sees fit. In, in the man named Jesus, he comes down to us. Under terrific spiritual attack, God is then raised up on the cross, and by surrendering, God wins, and the same works in our lives. And that's why you look to the crucifix for how to get through things. God himself suffered. That's the key thing of, of this faith that no other faith would, would ever even attempt to say this, or uh, because it's so radically different from every other one. Um, Jesus defeats death by letting the humans overrun fallen powers. They let him, they overpower him. They appear to be winning, like they've finally gotten him once, once and for all. He's on the cross. He's dead. And then Jesus rises again on the third day. In our own daily battle, we surrender, giving up control, and only then can we fight the spiritual combat. We must let go of ourself and put our entire confidence in God because if we try to go halfway, we are still allowing spirits to guide us. Going only halfway allows the whispers to still be heard, and sin is still crouching at your door. you got to shut that door. If we only go halfway, we haven't left the, co the competition. Um, we're still fighting in the world's version of competition. We need to fight the spiritual to, to do the right thing, to obey God, to be kind, to have humility, to accept certain things the way they are, um, to be patient, all of those things. If we're not doing those things, we are speaking babble. If we do not fully hand over our hearts to Jesus, we cannot fight the spirits because they'll always find a way to chase us once again away from the herd. Um, if God's already brought you back, stay with him. You don't want to go through that again, do you? Um, if you're still out there, God will, will, will reach out to you in ways that you may not even understand or know, but they, he will. The shepherd comes for those who seek him. And for whatever reason, he chooses who he draws and chooses when he draws them to him. On God's time, people are drawn, but in our daily spiritual battle, we can pray for those souls who we know and who we don't even know. This is a mystery. And if there's one thing I love about the church, it's the understanding of mysteries. And if you do the rosary, you can do five mysteries a day and they never stop 
they never stop fascinating you because they are mysteries. And once you accept that they are mysteries, it becomes more and more powerful. Take the Annunciation to Mary and ponder that. Take the resurrection. Take the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying the night before he's crucified. Those mysteries you can contemplate over and over and over again and make sense of them, of things in your own life while you do so. Now, accepting that not all people are drawn right now, today, that should give you no cause for anger or alarm because God's ways are not ours to understand. And the moment we get angry at another person, we may have lost our way. There's slow anger, um, slow to anger, that's how God is. We should be slow to anger, not quick to anger. Um, we, we start playing at God, and we, as soon as we do that, we can play into the hand of the spirits and not the good ones. Never forget that sin is crouching at your door. So keep that door shut. Um, you keep it shut all the time. We are commissioned in the service of the Lord to, quote, go and make disciples of all nations. And that means that while God will draw people on his own time, we can pray and teach and speak and spell the story of Christ and the cross. That means we need to get together in our groups. The idea of the Sunday obligation to attend Mass is not just because it's something to do and it punches your ticket. It's to get together with the community of people. That's why when someone says, nature is my church, that's great. But you usually go to nature alone, maybe with one other person. You go to church to be with a community of other believers. It fortifies your faith. You you receive the Eucharist, which is the greatest thing, greatest gift God's ever given to people. And you, your faith gets stronger when you're among others, when you sing and say prayers together. The, the Sunday obligation builds that community. It builds the kingdom here on earth. That's why um, people often misunderstand why is there a Sunday obligation? It's because it's, it's how we build the kingdom, how we get together, how we do things in groups, how we form these... Um, these uh, communities that will go out and do his will as we are God's instruments, we are his weapons, but we are weapons of kindness and charity, not those of fear, not the kind of the Tower of Babel, what they were wanting, which was the ability to win victory at war or have fertility and those sorts of things. Okay, so if all of this happened and Jesus came and died for our sins and transformed suffering and all of that, then why are the nations still at war? That's a question. Um, just like the problem of pain, and you can read the C.S. Lewis book, Prob The Problem of Pain, um, but why are the nations still at war? So Jesus has ascended. He's ascended to heaven and he rules the world, but the story is not finished. And that's what we don't like. We're, we're in the story. We don't realize that the story is not over. We think when he died and rose from the dead, it should have been over and there should be this utopia. That's not how the story is told at all in the, in the Bible from beginning to end. Now, his victory over the nations is complete, and now we are merely awaiting his return. In the meantime, we are his arms and legs, his voice, so we need to tell the story of Christ today with full charity to those who don't know of his death and resurrection. We can imitate Christ while God works out his plan of salvation. And billions of people are unaware of this combat that surrounds them. They are locked into ways of life that enslave them, and they do not yet know that there is a way out. That's why the story must be told and told again. 
And this naturally raises the question of why all the drama? Why doesn't God just snap his fingers and fix the nations? Um, why is there a need for Mary and Jesus in this drawn out, long, slow solution to the problem? And it doesn't seem like God allowed this to happen at Babel in the first place by letting the demonic powers rule the nations. Uh, yes, it is confusing. Uh, that's part of the leap of faith. We are in the messianic age, the final age, and God will again make himself known on his time when he wishes. It will happen like a lightning strike across the sky. So what we need to do is not to try to be the potter at the wheel, just to be the pot. We are not the one making this universe. We are, we are a, uh, a one little character in a greater story. We need to let God shape us, not try to shape God to us. That's pretty much the Tower of Babel in a nutshell. This is a great time to be patient and pray, especially when it may seem like the whole world is caving into the temptation of pride and wrath around us. And the one key thing is, of course, to get off the internet. Um, unless you're paying bills or doing something useful, you can take that time and spend it in prayer. There's no better way to spend quiet time than taking the rosary or the liturgy of the hours and doing that. Some notes from the catechism can guide you here on how to swim in this world and better yet, how to float peacefully when the waters rage and the storm hits as it does, as it always does. So this is from the catechism of the Catholic Church from starting at paragraph 670. We are already at the last hour. Already the final age of the world is with us and the renewal of the world is irrevocably underway. Though already present in his church, Christ's reign is nevertheless yet to be fulfilled with power and great glory by the king's return to earth. This reign is still under attack by the evil powers, even though they have been defeated definitively by Christ's Passover. Until everything is subject to him, until there be realized new heavens and a new earth in which justice dwells, the pilgrim church and her sacraments and institutions which belong to this present age carries the mark of this world which will pass, and she herself takes her place among the creatures which groan and travail yet and await the revelation of the sons of God. That is why Christians pray, above all in the Eucharist, to hasten Christ's return by saying to him, Maranatha, our Lord, come. Before his ascension, Christ affirmed that the hour had not yet come for the glorious establishment of the messianic kingdom awaited by Israel, which, according to the prophets, was to bring all men the definitive order of justice, love, and peace. According to the Lord, the present time is the time of spirit and of witness, but also a time still marked by distress. And the trial of evil which does not spare the church and ushers in the struggles of the last days, it is a time of waiting and watching. Since the ascension, Christ's coming in glory has been imminent, even though it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. This eschatological coming could be accomplished at any moment, even if both it and the final trial that precede it are delayed. So be prepared then. Be prepared, love God and love your neighbor by knowing that they are suffering prisoners in this great spiritual war. See Christ in them and pray for the whispering and the crouching sin to leave them alone. 
Stay with the church and stay with the faith. Stay with Christ. Fight the urge to strike back, the need to win, and surrender your will and intellect to God, and you will have victory. Hold fast to the ship in the storm. And the weather is about to get bumpy. Uh, we can pray not to be brought to the test, but the final test is yet promised for the church. Here's uh, two other paragraphs from the Catechism we'll conclude with. Before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. The persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of a religious deception offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. Then will the conduct of each one and the secrets of hearts be brought to light. Then will the culpable unbelief that counted the offer of God's grace as nothing be condemned. Our attitude to our neighbor will disclose acceptance or refusal of grace and divine love. On the last day, Jesus will say, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. By rejecting grace in this life, one already judges oneself, receives according to one's works, and can even condemn oneself for all eternity by rejecting the spirit of love. One last thing here. Uh, that saying of, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the, the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Uh, the the five-finger the five gospel of Mother Teresa was, you did it to me. That's one thing to remember in the spiritual warfare, in the spiritual combat. You did it to me. See others, see Christ in others, be Christ for others. That's all for this episode of Why Did Peter Sink? We'll be back with a few more episodes on this Tower of Babel series. Thanks for listening.